Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving. It's such an honor to be with you here today and to get a chance to see where Adam and Jolene have landed um, at TCC. Although I arrived at Prairie after both of them had already graduated, we've connected a couple times now and it's been really great to get to know them. Well, Pastor Adam asked me to preach a sermon this morning on a portion of Jesus' sermon on the mount found in Matthew chapter 5. So that makes this a sermon about a sermon, which probably doesn't sound too gripping. But actually, I think this is a fascinating passage and one that deserves our attention. I'm so glad that we just had that children's message because it set us up perfectly for what I want to share with you this morning. Last week, TCC kicked off this series, Living the Life, with Jesus teaching that we are salt and light. We are in the world to preserve it and to illuminate it. This is our identity. So following Jesus is not just a matter of believing a list of certain doctrines, but answering a call to a way of life, a new way of life. Pastor Quinn told about a friend of his who thought he could believe the Bible without changing his lifestyle. We have a friend like this as well. Um, our, our family went camping with him a few years back, and as we sat around the campfire with him, the topic of faith came up. Um, Adam says I talk about lament psalms at lunch. Um, I also talk about faith around the campfire. <laughs> if you want to hang out with me, we'll probably talk about God sooner or later. Anyway, this friend of ours said, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. I just don't see the point of going to church. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. My faith is between me and God, and nobody else has any say in it. This is kind of like buying a new boat and parking it in your backyard and insisting that you don't need any water to enjoy your new boat. It's kind of like planting a crop in your fields and then saying, there's no need to to harvest it. I'm, I'm fine with just looking at it growing. It's like buying groceries and filling your fridge and then letting them rot while you starve to death. The point of having groceries is to eat them. The point of planting a crop is to harvest it. And the point of buying a boat is to put it in the water. And the point of being a Christian is to join a community of faith that lives in radically different ways to demonstrate to a watching world that Jesus is king. And even if you believe what I just said, today's portion of Jesus' sermon might come as a surprise to you. The surprise I'm talking about is right there in our Bibles, right in plain sight, but for a variety of reasons, most of us have missed it. Our view of who Jesus is and what he came to do has been skewed by a misunderstanding of God's purposes in the Old Testament. But when I'm through, I hope that you'll have a clearer understanding of the purpose of the Old Testament, and that you'll have something to add to your list of what you're thankful for this year. Something that in all likelihood has never made it on your list before, that something is Old Testament law. So before we hunker down in this passage, let's set the scene. As Jesus traveled around Galilee, people were intrigued by him. Everyone was talking about him. When he touched sick people, they were healed. Imagine Jesus with the coronavirus. He would just go around and just, he'd take his mask off and he'd just breathe 
breathe on us one after another. And instead of getting the virus, they were, they were, they're getting rid of the virus. They were being healed. People were throwing away their crutches and dancing in the streets. People with chronic pain could finally see straight again. People with seizures experienced an inner calm that they hadn't had in years. People tormented by demons were finally free. It wasn't on the evening news, and it didn't make the front page because those things didn't exist. These remarkable stories had gone viral by word of mouth. People couldn't stop talking about the Jewish teacher from Nazareth who was turning the world upside down. They had a natural curiosity to hear him for themselves, and so they flocked to him. There was something so different about Jesus. But following Jesus was risky business. He was controversial. There was a question mark over his head. Jesus didn't seem to fit the religious system of his day. He was not an insider. So those drawn to his message risked being thrown out of the synagogue, effectively cutting them off from their Jewish community, including their family, their neighbors, their business partners, their customers, basically everyone. So Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is where he laid his cards out on the table, at least most of them. If we take a step back to see how Matthew is telling the Jesus story, we can see that Matthew patterns his entire gospel after the exodus from Egypt and the giving of the law. And then Jesus defines his ministry in relation to this pattern of exodus and giving the law. So to understand Jesus, we've got to understand what happened in the book of Exodus at Sinai. What exactly was Jesus trying to do? Was he critiquing the current administration and starting a reform movement? Or was he breaking with Jewish tradition altogether and its foundational teachings in the Torah? Was he saying, scrap this, we're on to something new? Or was he saying, let me show you a better way to understand what we all believe as true? So Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, by saying, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. This initial statement would have come as a huge relief to the crowds that were following him. They wanted to like him. They wanted him to be the real deal. But if he was trying to throw the Old Testament under the bus, they would have had, they would have been in serious trouble. I can see them elbowing each other, each other when Jesus says this. I've not come to abolish the law. See, I told you he wasn't a rebel. He's not overturning the Torah. You can just imagine all of the dinner table debates and conversations that are being solved by this part of Jesus' sermon. But Jesus' statement comes as a bit of a surprise to us because most Christians today have the impression that Jesus brought an end to the Old Testament law. There is even an old hymn that celebrates it. Free from the law, oh happy condition. That's what it's singing about. Jesus was afraid that we would precisely misunderstand this part of his ministry. He struck people then and he strikes people now as so different that he knew we would need clarification. And so he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. God is not scrapping with plan A and going with plan B. He tells them, we're still on plan A. The Old Testament law is still in effect. 
It's not going away. God's word announced through the prophets is still valid. So to fully grasp Jesus' statement, it will help you to know that the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, is divided into three parts. So there's the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. The Torah is otherwise known as the law or the law of Moses, and it's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. The prophets include what we typically think of as the historical books, Joshua through Kings, and the prophetic books um, that we call Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12 minor prophets. And then the writings include everything else, Psalms and Proverbs and everything I haven't mentioned. So for Jesus to affirm the law of Moses and the prophets is huge because the Torah is the foundation on which everything else is built. And the prophets detail the story of Israel's journey with the Torah, how well they kept it when they failed to keep it. Jesus says that the law of Moses and the prophets are still the main deal. He explains, I came to accomplish their purpose. If Jesus is the one to whom the Old Testament points, if Jesus' point is to fulfill the law's purpose, then we'd better understand what that purpose is. It's going to be essential if we're going to really get who Jesus is. So we'll get to that in a moment, but first let's let Jesus finish his thoughts. In verse 18 he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, which last I checked they haven't yet, Although 2020 has come pretty close, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So some people have tried to suggest that the purpose of the law was achieved, that that moment, that condition was met when Jesus died, or when he rose again, or when he ascended into heaven. However, this phrase that the New Living Translation translates appropriately as, until its purpose is achieved, could also be translated, until all things come to be. That is, all that God planned for the world must be accomplished before the law becomes irrelevant. Jesus accomplished extraordinary things during his time on earth. But when I turn on the news, I can see... And you can see that God is not finished yet. Until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, until every tear is wiped away and every sorrow flees, until the lion lies down with the lamb, the law will not disappear. The Torah will last as long as creation until the renewal of all things. So what does that mean for you and for me in the meantime? Jesus went on to explain, verse 19. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in God's kingdom is found in fulfillment of Torah or Old Testament law. Those undermining it will lose status in his kingdom. This is not usually how we think about it. Verse 20, he says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So if Jesus' first statement shocked us, what? The law is still in effect? 
This is the statement that shocks his, his listeners in the first century. He warns everyone, I am not here to lower the bar and make it even easier to get into the kingdom. Even Jewish religious leaders will find themselves on the outside looking in. The teachers of religious law have devoted their lives to understanding and teaching the Torah. If even they don't have it right, what hope is there for the rest of us? For most of us, 2020 has been an exceptionally difficult year. From the pandemic, to politics, to natural disasters, to job insecurity, 2020 has barely given us a break. And it's likely that if you've suffered any extra injury this year, death in the family, or a positive diagnosis, or some other crisis, it has felt like salt in the wound. And now you come to church or you tune in online and this guest speaker tells you more bad news? That the Old Testament law is still in effect? That Jesus expects perfection? Don't turn off your TV or close your laptop just yet. Hang in there with me. I promise that this message is going to bring good news. Our problem is that we have a distorted view of the Old Testament. Most of us have thought or been told negative things about the Old Testament law. Here are the things I hear from people all the time on this topic. It was doomed to fail from the beginning. Old Testament law was. Its only purpose was to show people what miserable failures they are. Or it was how ancient Jews earned their salvation, and now Christ has made a different way for us to be right with God. I hear these three things all the time in lots of different words. The problem is that none of these is what the Bible teaches. And when we give closer scrutiny to it, we find that the Bible teaches that Old Testament law was a gift and that it was good, and that it worked. It was never Israel's means of earning salvation. That's not what the law was for. This is not how they got saved. It was the way they maintained a positive relationship with God and with each other. Righteousness is a word we get tripped up on, but it's a relational term. Righteousness means faithfulness to a covenant relationship. It means having a positive relationship with God and treating others well. So you could, you could, um, translate this into, into a, using a modern day illustration with thinking about marriage. If I think of my marriage to, to my husband Danny, who's here with me today, Danny and I have been married for 22 years. And I could say that he is righteous in his relationship with me because he's been faithful to me. And we've been faithful to each other for all that time. So righteousness doesn't mean he's a perfect person or I'm a perfect person. It means we've, we have maintained our commitment to each other and to this relationship. So to really grasp the point of Old Testament law, let's think for a moment about where the Ten Commandments appear in Exodus. We just heard it in the children's message. Exodus chapter 20. Now, if you've read the book of Exodus before, you know that there's 19 chapters that come before this, including a lot of great stories. Moses is born, he's rescued, he grows up, God sends him back to to Egypt, and he rescues the Hebrews out of Egypt. Moses does not show up at the border of Egypt with two stone tablets. 
And he does not go to the people and say, hey guys, good news. I can get you out of here. I know it really stinks having to serve Pharaoh all the time and do all this labor for free. I can get you out of here. Just sign on the dotted line saying you'll do these 10 things and then we, and then, I'll, then I got your, your ticket out. That's, that's not what happens. Moses rescues them from Egypt without first checking the corners of their homes to see if any of them are harboring idols. He doesn't do what, he doesn't do an audit of their morality first and then decide, okay, I think you qualify. Let me take you out, but not you. You've been too bad. He doesn't. He rescues all of them. The only prerequisite is for them to trust Yahweh that he's setting them free. And so Moses leads them out and they cross through the wilderness and then they end up at Sinai and God gives them the Ten Commandments. By the time they get the law, they're already free. He does not impose the law on them against their will. It is not how they earn their salvation. So God explains the purpose of the law to them in Exodus 19, just before the Ten Commandments. Let's listen in. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, two months, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. They've already been out of Egypt for two whole months before God gives them any any laws. Then Moses climbed up the mountain to appear before God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to to the descendants of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This does not sound at all like a ball and chain so far. God has rescued them and graciously invited them into his presence at Mount Sinai. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. From among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So here's what you need to know. In ancient times, powerful kings would have dealings with lots of other nations. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the most powerful king of all. And he tells the Israelites that out of all the nations, he has chosen them for a special task. When he calls them his special treasure, Yahweh is not just trying to think up the nicest thing he can say about them. Like as if he's saying, wow, you guys are great. No, this is a technical term in Hebrew. The word that we have translated special treasure is the Hebrew word segala, which is my favorite Hebrew word. A segala is a treaty term that designates a treaty partner with special privileges and responsibilities. It's like an ambassador who represents the king. So if a king is going to be away for a time and needs someone to stand in his place as as ruling monarch, he would choose his most trusted treaty partner, his segala, to represent him. So here's the point. God appointed Israel to represent him to the nations. Surrounding nations are supposed to be able to watch Israel and find out what God is like. That's why God gives them the law. Not to save them. It's a matter of mission 
In the law, he teaches them how to live well so that they can express his character to a watching world. The law is not arbitrary. It's not meant to kill their fun or cramp their style. The law is part of God's mission to bless all nations. God had told Abraham in his covenant back in Genesis chapter 12, through you all nations will be blessed. So in order for Israel to fulfill their calling, they must learn to do these things, to live by the rules. And the rules are care for the vulnerable, conduct business fairly and without greed, love your neighbor, worship Yahweh exclusively. The law was not a ball and chain. It was a prescription for life in freedom. We saw a few moments ago how difficult it is to play the game of life without any rules. And God knew that if they were going to carry out his mission, they would need to live by a particular set of standards that would help them to have a peaceful and flourishing society. The law protected the rights of their neighbors. The law helped them to honor God in every relationship. In Exodus chapter 19, God calls them a holy nation. The law enables them to maintain that status. They've been set apart. Sinai is where Israel is commissioned to do God's work in the world. So the purpose of the law was to bring light to the nations, to show people an alternative way to live that would fulfill their human vocation. So we're told Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, man, it is such a drag to be an Israelite. Can you believe God wants us to be his segala? No, that's not how they respond. He calls them all together and they say together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. They willingly sign on. They like the idea of this scenario. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Moses brokers this agreement between the Lord and the Israelites. They're totally on board. God does not coerce them. They willingly sign on to this new vocation to represent God to the nations. So if Jesus had come along, and if Jesus had said, you know what? The law doesn't work. Forget that. He would have been abandoning God's mission to bless all nations. No, Jesus didn't abandon the law. He came to show us how it should be done. He came to fulfill it. It's true. Israel had failed in their mission. But the problem was not with the law. The problem was with their hearts. You can see that by carefully reading Jeremiah 31, where where Jeremiah announces the new covenant. Watch carefully for what's new about the new covenant. It's not the law that's new. It's their hearts that will be new. Jesus demonstrated covenant faithfulness and invited his followers into his own faithfulness, transforming their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus... We are his representatives among the nations. Our lives are to demonstrate God's character to a watching world. The law is not a checklist, but a tutor. It's what helps us put shoe leather on our faith. So if we're tempted to sit around the campfire and say, it's just between me and God, 
I can do whatever I want. It's between me and God. Being a Christian is a personal thing. You can see how that doesn't fit with the teaching of Scripture on what the law is for and what does it mean to be part of the community of faith. Last week's passage uh, was from Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What does it mean to be the light of the world? Let your good deeds shine out. Good deeds? Aren't those works? I thought we were saved by grace. We are. God graciously rescues us from slavery to sin, but he doesn't do it so that we can just sit back and be passive. He rescues us and puts us right to work representing him. We have a mission. We are salt and light. The law is part of God's mission to bless all nations, and our obedience is how we shine that light. I like to think of getting saved as um, being kind of like a game of blob tag, where each person who's tagged tags as many people as possible until everyone is tagged. So if, let's say Pastor Norb is it and he tags me, I don't like take a seat and feel smug because I'm it. I've been tagged. No, as soon as you're tagged, you get right to work tagging other people until everyone is tagged. The point of God choosing Israel was to be a light to the nations, and they accomplished that by living faithfully to the Sinai Covenant. And 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 in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting his followers to rediscover this mission. Rediscovering the grace of God in the Old Testament law empowers us to participate in his mission in a new way. We may prefer to get rid of the law. law. You may have thought this morning it would have been better news if I would have said, no more law, we're free to do as we please. But Jesus wants to get rid of our sin so that he can accomplish his mission through us. And so therefore the law is important. You and I share the mission to be the light to the nations We share it with those Jesus was talking to. So our obedience matters. The Christian life is not just a private matter between me and God. Our mission connects us to each other and to everyone around us in the world. But let me be clear. The law is not the point of the Christian life. It's not an end in itself. The law is our means of demonstrating that we belong to God and to the community of faith. The Old Testament law works a little bit like chores do in a family. Now, parents often give their children chores to do. But I have never met a young couple who were hoping to have kids who told me that the reason that they wanted to have kids is so they could help with the chores. No, that that's kind of funny, right? Because every parent knows that the moment there's a baby, the workload multiplies. Chores are not the point of having kids, and the law is not the point of God's covenant with Israel. We have kids because we have a vision of what family relationships will look like. We, we want to build memories and have a happy and peaceful life together. Chores are just one of the pieces to that puzzle. Chores are the way that we can all participate to have a home in which positive relationships are facilitated. God enters into a covenant with Israel because he wants a relationship, not because he wants to give them laws. The laws are just a way of maintaining 
the positive relationship that he's made with them. Now, I should stop here to say that not every Old Testament law is is relevant to us in the same way that it was to ancient Israel or functions for us in the same way. And if you, particularly if you've come out of a background of really strict legalism, you might have been nervous through this whole message. Like, here's a lady who's trying to tell me that this is about law and it's about obedience and I need to do what I'm told. And if you've come out of a, of a, a background of legalism, this can sound really oppressive. So let me assure you, I am not advocating legalism. And I'm not advocating that we open up to the book of Exodus and start implementing just every, taking every law and implementing it as it's written in our cultural context. We no longer worship in a temple or offer sacrifices because Jesus gave himself once for all on the cross to satisfy God's righteous demands. So laws that relate to ritual purity or sacrifice are no longer in effect. That part of the law has been fulfilled in Christ. In Acts 15, the early church made another shift when they realized that it was time to open wide the doors and let the Gentiles in and include people who were not Jewish in in the community of faith. So the laws that were designed to reinforce ethnic differences, to set up walls between different ethnic groups, such as circumcision and food laws, those were deliberately set aside by the early church because their purpose had been met. The season during which the Israelites needed to be an exclusive um exclusive group set apart from other groups had ended. It was now time to go out into all the world. But the rest of the laws can continue to shape our thinking about how to honor God in our current context. So I'll close with one of my favorite Old Testament laws to illustrate how it still matters. Every Thanksgiving, our family's tradition is to make a list of all the things we're thankful for, all the things that God has done on our behalf over the year. And if you haven't done that yet this weekend, I would encourage you on this Thanksgiving weekend to think about how has God blessed you this year. And then once we've made our list, we read Psalm 100, which we read together today already, and we read Deuteronomy chapter 8, which might seem a little odd, but as you're about to find out, it's very relevant. It's the perfect chapter for Thanksgiving. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. When you have eaten your fill, which I hope you're doing at some point this weekend, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. But that's the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Verse 17, he did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. The Old Testament law reminds us that God is the source of our blessings and that he deserves our thanks. 
So here's one Old Testament law that we can all put into practice this Thanksgiving weekend. Praising God for his blessings. Is that so hard? 2020 has not been easy, but God has not forsaken us. So he deserves our praise. So what is my message for you this morning? The law is part of God's mission to bless all nations. If you're watching this message this morning and you are not Jewish, then you can thank God for the Old Testament law because it worked. Here you are. Jesus' faithfulness to the covenant and his sacrifice on your behalf is how you got here. Remember, Jesus didn't abandon the law. He came to show us how it should be done. And now he's calling us into a life of faithfulness. God has no plan B. It is our privilege now to follow in his footsteps and to participate in his mission to shine his light to the world. We're not free from the law, but because of Jesus' faithfulness and in his obedience to the law, we are free, free to follow his example. Let me pray for you. God, we are so grateful for what you accomplished in Jesus on the cross. And we thank you that Jesus was able to completely fulfill the law, that he was able to to come and do faithfully what generations of your followers had failed to do, not because the law was bad, but because our hearts were so inclined to turn away from you. Father, I pray that this morning you would help us to cherish the gifts that you've given us in Christ and that you would help us to rediscover a passion for the mission that you've given us to bless all nations. Help our lives to be so distinctively marked by obedience and faithfulness that the world looks at us and says, wow, there is something different about these people. See how they love one another. See how they love their neighbors. Father, help us to be that kind of people, not people who try to keep our faith tucked away in a back closet or in a pocket, but who wear it on our sleeves, people who openly represent you and recognize our vocation as the people who bear your name. Thank you, Lord, for this high calling and this privilege. Find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.